Okay, my name's Pamela. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater um, who's got to practice all phases of this program, and um, and I'm really so glad to be here. And I wanted to thank Don in absentia for asking me to share. I've been dying to share for a while. Okay, character defect is the first thing you're going to hear. Isn't that exciting? So they never go away. I have almost 24 years. And some time ago, I heard somebody make a comment about my abstinence. And I have been wanting to defend my abstinence since then. But thank God I didn't get asked to speak for another six months. And uh, <laughs> so now I can speak the words that were given to me by a power greater myself rather than my ego defensive powers. But I just want to know that ego is driving me. I'm just going to say, but you know what? My bottom line abstinence is loving myself. And that's accepting the things I cannot change. And that's accepting the things that people got up and say it. Loving yourself, now that is a really stupid abstinence. Okay, so how am I going to deal with that? Let's see, I could punch them in the chin. No, probably not the best way to do it. So, anyway, what does that mean to me? That means I live the serenity prayer in my food, in my physical, and my emotional, and my spiritual life, I accept the things I cannot change. I have the courage to change the things I can, and God willing, I know the difference between the two. Now, let's just go through my history, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and let's talk about how that loving myself works so I don't know you know I was adopted I've just recently found my birth family but so I think I started out with an unconscious kind of not liking myself because somebody has already rejected me so I have proof positive that there's something wrong with me right and then I don't know what it is I think it was because my best friend was quite slender. And in fact, their last name began with a B and her older sister, they used to call her Bean because she was tall and really thin. But when your best friend is really thin and you're trying to look at why aren't I as popular and as great as her, you think it's because I'm not that thin. So, the facts. What happened? What was it like? I've been on... A million diets since I was 12 years old until I was 50 years old. I gained and lost 685 pounds. And I'm not a 100 pounder because I never weighed more than 220. And as long as I could go with my, my anorexia where I would like starve for a week and just drink herbal tea with lemon juice in it. And I, I could feel this burning in the middle of me and I said, I think it's the spirit of the higher powers coming through my body. No, I had indigestion from any acid in my stomach. But you know, okay. So that's the way it was. So I went between 120 and 220. All I can say now 
as I weigh less than the number on my driver's license and that was a lie 55 years ago okay so uh, what I was gonna weigh but I didn't weigh that so okay so what what happened so you know I grew up in really just a fine family and and I was spoiled and they had money and nobody abused drugs and nobody abused me and my father told me when I was five years old that I shouldn't feel bad that I'd lost the race that I'd been in with this little boy and some other kids that it was, probably it was because I looked back and that's when the kid passed me and so I should always, if I have a goal, I should keep my eye on it. And don't let anything else distract me. And then he said, don't worry a little boy beat you. He said, you know, you can be whatever you want. Do you want to be a doctor? you want to be a lawyer? you want to be president of the United States? Now, in 1948, this was a big statement telling a little girl she could be president of the United States. So, yeah, I had a wonderful family. And I think my mother suffered abuse so it I thought she was really crazy but she told me when I was eight years old I should never let men touch me and my father said if a boy starts pushing you around punch him back and I expect you to come back with a couple black eyes and my mother said if a man or a boy comes close to you stick your hand out and shake hands with them but that's that's as far as can ever go so you know I kind of had this wall around me so my parents did really good they spoiled the heck out of me whatever they were they were wonderful parents um, so I didn't have a really dysfunctional family like I said my mother was probably abused and told me my skirts were too tight my sweaters were too tight my skirts were too short you know but oh lord you know I had a daughter and it's really hard when they wear the skirts that are this short to Catholic school oh. <laughs> but what you can you do that's just what they do and you just try to you know pray one day at a time so I used to have no serenity prayer in my life. I could not accept anything about myself. I couldn't accept those extra two pounds. I couldn't accept I wasn't the most popular person here. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't accept anything about myself. And I have a lot of trouble accepting things about other people. I mean, God, didn't they understand? I know how everything is supposed to be. If they would just listen to me, everything would like work out fine. Why couldn't my mother just loosen up a little bit? I could show her how to do it. And so, you know, having those two character defects of not being able to accept myself and not being able to accept the other person, you know, the first line of the serenity prayer is shot to heck. And I am totally miserable because I'm not loving myself. I'm not accepting my faults. I'm not accepting other faults. And by opening my big mouth, other people aren't liking me either. Because you know, <laughs> nobody really wants constructive criticism. You know, <laughs> Something best we should just keep to ourselves. We can write about it, but we don't have to talk about it. So anyway, not a bad childhood. Everything seemed to work out fine. I had a friend from college and she 
and I were binge buddies in college and he called me and said you know I'm divorced now and I'm diabetic and but those OA meetings really suck so I'm going to AA meetings and I'm doing um just I'm, I'm substituting sugar now she was always a little bit flaky okay or not as together as me but of course no one <laughs> was together as I am so but she came and I said well and she said you know I'm divorced and I'm here in Minnesota and da 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 I said you know come to California you can go to a meeting who cares people are single people are married people are living together and not married people are living with people of the same sex nobody really cares here you know they may be Three together, we don't really. This is California. You don't have. We're in Los Angeles. You don't have to be uptight. So come here. And she just all she did was the twelve steps. And what a change! She had this notebook, and she wrote every day her fourth step. And she wrote, and, and then she gave it away. And then she got this box of file cards, and she did her eighth step, and then she did her ninth step. And I looked at her, and I said. Well, she still doesn't as cool as I am, but if I could make the change in my life that I see her transformation, I'm going to try it. So that's how I got in OA. I had to decide, was it alcohol, was it marijuana, was it chocolate, was it Brad Pitt, was it my Neiman Marcus credit card, oh my God, which was the winner? (laughs) What program should I go to first? But I came to this one because I can remember being eight years old and not quite being able to go to sleep and I'd go downstairs and make two pieces of toast, put butter on them, put sugar on them, take them on a little plate up to my room and eat them. And then that didn't quite fill the hole. So I went back downstairs. And then the loaf of bread was gone. So, you know, I I had these little indications. I also had an indication that I weighed over 200 pounds. That seemed like not quite normal. I had to stop shopping in regular sized clothes. That really, I found one of those big lady sizes. And I didn't know it was a big lady size. It was not Lane Bryant giant, but one of those. Max woman. And I went in and I tried my size 14 on. I said, whoa, this is the best store. I didn't know it was a 14W. Okay, or 16W. I had no idea that it was a larger size. Anyway, I knew that, that that's probably what was wrong with my life. So, let's talk about accepting the things we cannot change. I now accept the thing. I accept the fact that the word chocolate floats in and out of my consciousness but I don't have to act upon it I'm not a bad person I mean I sometimes actually think you know I think I really need some chocolate now but I pause and I don't have chocolate in my house you know I do what I have to do so I'm willing to accept the things I can't change I can't change the fact chocolate's going to come in. I can change the fact that I don't have to buy a box of chocolates. Somebody gives me, God forbid, I can't open it because once I open it, it's gone. Okay, I'm just telling you, my life isn't perfect now. I don't walk on water. 
90% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, if you handed me a Hershey bar and a hockey puck, I'd look at them, and this is just when I'm feeling normal, not when I'm having a... I'd look at them, and, and they're like the same. I can throw them on the ground. Neither one is going in my mouth. I mean, I have become very neutral. And my food is a little bit tighter than, than it was to begin with. Okay, so I was real, I, not only was I a late bloomer, but I was a slow as hell. And for somebody being the first in line for everything, pushing down everybody, of course, um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm really now just trying to pull back from that. I'm just trying to say, you know, I came into the program in 1994. What should my first abstinence be? Well, you know, my mother had dinner. Three times, you know, had breakfast, had lunch, had dinner, and I, and she was always asking me to eat when it was really not fitting in my schedule. And I thought it was really such an uptight thing to do. So I decided three meals a day was too uptight. It felt like my mother, I was just going to give up sugar. Well, that lasted four days. <laughs> so I said, okay, maybe I could be uptight like my mother. Maybe I could change. Other people said they came in the program and they were able to change some things. So why don't I just start eating three meals a day and no snack? And that was in 1994. I don't start over. I'm, I'm just going to be old as God soon, you know. So, you know, I just really can't start over. So I started at 50. I, I couldn't do the no sugar. So I changed to three meals a day. 1994, April 15th, I started my abstinence. July 5th, 1998. That wasn't overnight, you heard, right? 94, 98. That's when I gave up sugar. And that's when God was ready to have me do it. And I subsequently in 2000 gave up gluten. You know, and the road just gets narrower. But I listen. I accept the things I cannot change. I have the courage to change the things I can. You know, I have my Fitbit. This thing runs my life. It's the best thing in the whole world. And you know, you find out, oh God, I can't walk 10,000 steps a day. But every hour, the little buzzer goes off and says, get out, you got 10 minutes to do three, to do 250 steps. But you know what? I can do 250 steps in three minutes. So I say, what the hell? I might as well walk 10 minutes in the next thing you know. And sometimes I can't do it. And I accept that. Loving myself means I don't beat myself up. If the buzzer goes off and I say, I think I'm having a nap, I'm accepting that. My son is not doing what he should be doing to get the job he should have. And I'm just accepting that. Do I do it perfectly? No, of course. But I do the best I can. Um, So... Loving myself means accepting things about me and about you that I can't change. It's just the way I am. You know, it just, and I have to love myself. I have to love that little girl. I have to love that, get out of my way. I'm first. I have to love all of it. 
I have to know that I can with the help of these steps and these tools I can change some things I am not helpless I am very powerful but God has all power and only by reaching into that that space of God and saying okay God show me what to do here god damn it <laughs> and i say it like that and i'm sorry i'm not perfect i just do the best i can um and then just knowing the difference not beating yourself up saying that's something i can change that's something i can't change but i work really hard on loving myself loving every day and everything that i do writing my gratitude list as delineated in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is what I do every night. Do I like doing it? Hell no. <laughs> do I do it? 95% of the time. And you know, where have I been wrong? Where have I been of service of others? You know, it just that whole, that whole thing we get preached. I love the tools. I personally have a character defect that probably Roseanne had when she wanted to rewrite a couple of our steps. Remember, she wrote a couple of our steps. Well, I think we should just have a new tool, and I think it should be called Bite Your Tongue. Because 90% of my problems are opening mouth and inserting foot. So um, I am praying and working on my reaction time my goal is my goal is to get not seconds but minutes not double digit minutes but minutes between when you say something that is so messed up that I really need to tell you what's really happening and just buttoning my lip maybe for three minutes now, I'm very blessed. I'm a little ADD. I'm a little overachiever. I'm doing 18 things at once, and I usually complete most of them. But I think, God, if I could just keep my mouth shut for one or two minutes, my ADD will just make me forget and move on to the next thing where I'm really going to stick my foot in my mouth. But at least I'm going to do it. And I'm trying my best. But without the help of everybody in this room, Without the energy I get when I walk in here, it's sort of kind of like the energy you get when you go into a place of worship. You know, everybody, God is there. Not everywhere all the time, but people come there to worship God. People come here to get recovery, to have a spiritual awakening. And that just lifts me up. And I sometimes come to meetings and I think the leader said something stupid. I think the shares, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm still judgmental. But remember, I bite my tongue and then I just say, God, what's the damn message here? And you know, there's usually a message. And what I don't like in you might be something I don't like in myself and I really don't want to talk about it. So I do. You know, I talk about it in my 10th step. I talk about it to my higher power. 
I talk about it to anybody that'll listen. I'm a talker. I'm sorry. I just love to talk. Anyway, um, this program has made me a happy old lady. I wish I would have been happier as a teenager. I wish I would have been happier for my first marriage. I wish I would have been happier for my second marriage. And need I go on? <laughs> but I've never been happier than I am right now. And my kids aren't perfect, but I love them to death. And I accept what they do. And sometimes my tongue feels bloody at the end of the day, but you know, that's just what I do. And I practice saying, well, good. I'm happy for you. I think you did the right thing, you dumb blank, blank, blank. But I don't say that part. Restraint of pen and tongue. That's the one that's number one to me. And I just want to say in closing, if you ask me about the steps, I'm going to tell you my favorite step is the sixth step. And it... And that's to become willing. To become willing to do any damn thing is really good. Okay, but to be willing to give up those things that made me who I was, that sharp tongue, that pushy person, that lack of sensitivity, that egocentricness, all of that got me to a good career, a good life, and I know my time is up. And... uh So I look forward to your questions now about my program and how I got here. Thank you for letting me know. This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking a question, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And I'm going to repeat the question because it is being recorded. And I will get a five-minute warning. Okay. Hi. Thank you so much for sharing that phrase, restraint of time and pen. What helps you get to the pause so you can have that restraint? I'm not very good at it. Oh, restraint of tongue and pen. How do I get to that point? Pen is easier. Because, you know that email that I just wrote to, I don't remember who, I sent it to my sponsor first. And then she said, you know, whatever, whatever. So, um, what I have to do sometimes is get it out. So I just try to find someone else in the program or in my family or anyone that I just say, I need to say this and can I just get it out. And so that kind of gives me a little relief. I would like to say God says, you know you shouldn't say this and you're relieved. But that ain't what happens with me. I want to say what I want to say all the time. But I guess God must be helping me. Because I'm saying it less than I used to. Not perfectly, 
but less. Could you talk about, thank you very much, could you talk about your relationship with your higher power and how you, I was going to say how you define it, but I'm not sure I'm supposed to ask you that question. Okay, so how did I develop a relationship with a higher power and how do I define it? Um, well, you told me when I came in that, you know, the first thing you talked about was higher power. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. Well, okay, I'm so glad you asked that because the way I was raised and what I believe is that anybody that believes in God should change dealers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if they were smoking what I was smoking, they would not need God and have a little Chardonnay and things are fine. Obviously, they have a inherent weakness of character that makes them turn to something outside of themselves because, you know, I'm from the Midwest and our shoulder to the grindstone, our nose to the wheel, whatever it is, I can't get it straight. But you got the idea. So it said I have to change. So I said, well, I guess I'm going to look for a religion because religion is large groups of people who are seeking or have found God. And so if I go to a religion, and so I actually interviewed churches. I interviewed religions and it came down to two. And they were both in the final running because they had free food after the worship service. And the Sikh religion had vegetarian mung beans and rice and the Church of Christ had fried chicken and donuts. So that was an easy choice. <laughs> and that's just what I did. And I'm very glad I did and that's, that's how I have developed my sense of a higher power is by interacting with and worshiping with and following what another group of people believe is God. But I don't believe the same as all of them. Some of them think I'm a little bit out there because I don't follow it perfectly. But I do what makes my soul at peace because that's what the serenity prayer promises me that I will get serenity so I have to just work it out so it feels comfortable with me so anyway yes Ellie um, thank you Pam could you please talk about service and why you do it what you do Okay, well, I've always done service, and now I'm just being aware that... Okay, the first reason I came in and did service is I heard people say, and you know how I did not like that criticism about my um, bottom line abstinence being loving myself. I don't do very well with criticism. Okay, so... Um, I heard people say, well, I came in, and I came in late, and I sat in the back, and I was the first one to leave. And I said, well, I'm a tough chick. I ain't afraid of you. I'm going to come and just show you how tough I am. So I came early, but God forbid I would talk to anybody, and you would find out how ugly and unacceptable I was on the inside. So my conversations 
consisted of, um, do we do four or six chairs in the row? And do you want me to put the coffee pot over here? And at the end of the meeting, I would stay late, but I would say, do we put all the trash in one bin? Do we stack the chairs up? And so all of you saw me as a newcomer and thought I was the most wonderful person. But really, I was hiding, okay? I was hiding. But what happens is that spirit of letting go of what you need for yourself and helping somebody else came out. And you all saw me as this wonderful, loving, giving person. (laughs) And then I found that the more that I could maintain it, the more that I could get out of myself. And to be truly honest, I would encourage everybody to do service above the meeting level. Because if it is possible to you, for you to get in a group of a bunch of compulsive overeaters where we all want to be in charge, we all want to be in control, we all want it our way, and we all want to talk at the same time. And if you can manage to not only work in that group, but then take a leadership position in that group, My God, you could have a job anywhere on the planet because you learned how to work with people and it gave me an ability of accepting people and realizing, which I had never done in my management positions in my professional life, I did sometimes realize, you know, someone would do something really bad and I would say, you know, I know they're maybe splitting up with their partner. I'm going to give them some space. I mean, you know what I mean? And with OA, you just have to realize we're all messed up and we have to give everybody space. But um, So that's what it's done for me. And it's helped me with my restraint of tongue. Because I didn't want... Because somebody in the group would see if I didn't restrain my tongue. And, you know, so like I wanted to be really careful. Yes. Uh, can you talk about sponsoring and the balance between directing your sponsees and letting them walk their own path? Oh, Lord. Talk about sponsoring and how do people, how do I direct them and how do I let them walk their own path? I'm kind of an easy sponsor. I am lazy. I have people. You, I, I say buy the 12 and 12. Skim through it just to get a feeling of where you're headed because this is going to be your life for the rest of your life. So just look at that. And then buy the workbook. And, you know, we work on the workbook. I came in this program when I was 50, so starting over was just not on the horizon for me if I wanted to get any candles with any numbers before I died. So, so, so I, but I don't let anybody start over. I really, um, you know, story sponsy calling. I'm at Venice Beach and I have a drumstick in one hand and a popsicle in the other and I'm eating them. And I say, well, I guess our lunch wasn't the best decision, was it? (laughs) Okay, so this is where you are. I said, do you see five gallons of Ben and Jerry within ten feet of you? Do you you feel it within ten feet of you? No. Okay, great. 
where you've made a bad choice for lunch. But let's just think about dinner now. We're done with lunch. We're over. Let's keep going. So I'm... And, you know, I guess it depends on the person. We all come here with different physical, emotional, and spiritual problems. And some people need more direction than others. Some people can be told generally what to do or given write about it and we'll talk tomorrow or write about this question I have about it or look at it from this perspective and we'll talk later. And some people just need to be say, okay, stop. What is your main goal? And, and in real time you can help them with maybe a skill set they don't have, which when people are beginning, their skill set is very small because they don't have the 12 steps. They don't have the nine tools. They don't have something they can use. But, you know, as people get farther along in their abstinence, I write about it. <laughs> Call me tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, you. Carol. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, Cher. And ever since I met you when I first came in, your abstinence of, you know, bottom line is loving yourself. I remember thinking, damn, I've never strained together more than a day or so. Um, I sort of kind of feel that way. But so I'm wondering, how did you get from, oh, I think that might be a good idea for my abstinence, to actually, like, how do you do that? There must, it must have, did you just make a decision and that was it? Talk about how you get to a bottom line of loving yourself. How do I get to a bottom line of loving myself? Because you know that's all I've ever wanted. That's my bottom line in life. I can remember since I have a remembrance feeling that there was something wrong with me. And I didn't want to keep carrying that. That was a heavy load. And I had seen Well, you see a lot of people who are religious and or spiritual who seem to have a love. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to stop thinking I was ugly, I was fat, I was stupid, I was pushy. I I, I just, I was loud. I talked too much. I needed to get that negativity out of my life. And so... I do it imperfectly every day. I cannot think of a day that I have perfectly loved myself for everything. But that's the way my abstinence too. It's progress. It's not perfection. And that's just the best I do. And I do the same thing I did to the person that was sitting with the popsicle and the drumstick. Well, that was a bad friggin' choice. (laughs) But now how do we move on? Let's just let go of that and move on. You hate yourself for this? Well, why don't you look at something good? Why don't you try doing something good? If you're such a bad person, I was almost late for this meeting because I do a thing all the time called mindful parking because I have a big car. And there are a million cars in Los Angeles. So I don't just jump in a place and jump out of my car. I, I try to park as close to a fire hydrant or a driveway as I can and 
I just did that now, and I looked, and I said, gee, I could go back 10, I get out of the car, and I'm running here late, and I could go back 10 more feet and still not be in the red line. But it doesn't really matter, because between the car in front of me and me, that 10 feet's not going to make any difference. But when that car moves, then there would be room for two cars instead of my car and that car in front of them. And I just try to do, I do that. That's one thing I do. I do mindful parking. And you know, and then I think, okay, I've done something good. And nobody knows about it because unless you leave a note on the car, (laughs) nobody's going to know you did it. So, you know, and that's, I think that's what you do is do something kind for somebody else, you know. And then you feel like you're okay. And you're not perfect. I'm still not quite as thin as I want to be. I was for five minutes when I was sick, and then I thought I was too thin. So, you know, obviously, I don't feel perfect about myself all of the time. I don't love my size. I don't love my weight. I don't love my behavior. I don't love all of the things I do. But one day at a time, one minute at a time, I can accept. The things I cannot change. I can try to change the things I can change. And I just have to feel that my higher power has given me the wisdom to know the difference between those two. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm probably wrong. But I do the best I can. Okay. Terrell. Speaking to how would you use that... um Um, Okay, so what does loving myself mean? It means I don't eat the giant economy or family size package of anything. That's not a loving action. I can bring it down to the food. Eating three meals of sugar only is not a loving action. Not moving to do one step of exercise is not a loving action. My body wants to work. God wants my body to work. My body emotionally wants me to work physically. That's what, that's what it wants. So I just have to love myself and follow what my body, my mind, and spirit want to do. But it, and it comes down to not just not eating this many Chips, but only this many chips, but not cutting people off in traffic. When people cut me off in traffic with a gritted teeth and a fake smile, I say a prayer for them. I think, oh my God, they probably didn't get laid. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're having a bad day. We all have bad days. <laughs> oh God, I got recorded. You can take that out. Sorry. <laughs> but you know, that's the way I think about it. You know, people are unhappy. My story, my story is, okay, it's not about me. Did you know that it's not about me? I can be standing here and one person will come up and say, Pam, you look so great. God, your skin is fantastic. What are you doing? And, oh, I know you. You're wearing much smaller size. Those pants look so great on you. And the next person will say, Pam, how are you? 
by the way, I know of this place we can go in Mexico and they will just tighten all of that up for you. And you know what else I know? I know a place we can go to this spa and they guarantee seven pounds in three days. Now, one person just told me I was thin and young and one person just told me I was old and fat. And they're within two seconds of each other. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about whatever they're going through. Well, my time is up. And thank you for letting me share.